Hi, this is Roger Braslett from Bangor, Maine, and you're listening to Gaming NBS. Welcome to Gaming NBS. This is episode 63. We're a podcast where we talk about tabletop RPGs and other miscellaneous topics of geekery. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome back, folks. And if we've uh, garnered any new listeners since last time, uh, glad to have you with us. Yeah, thanks for joining us. 63, that's not bad, dude. Still rolling, 63 weeks. We're doing well. Still got it going on. 63. Nice. Oh, I just <clears> hit that <throat> earphone on the mic. How do you like that? That was a little loud. So, should we do the announcements thing? Yeah, man. Let's get this sucker on the <clears throat> road, yo. All right. First announcement up. I just want to do a uh, early. It's happy Thanksgiving early to all the U.S. listeners. <clears throat> uh, our Canadian listeners, like Mo Tusano, the Canadian god of gaming, the, ga- the game father, they already had theirs back in October, but we're finally catching up to the Canadians, and we're going to have our Thanksgiving coming up this will drop uh this coming tuesday and by that thursday uh those of us who do celebrate it here in the u.s will be fat happy and i will hopefully be working my way through a pecan pie at some point so that's cool the other one i had was um i've talked of i've talked a bunch on on the air that i you know i hunt and whatever so the beasts indeed were slain my oldest son and i went to upper michigan and uh That's what Brett sounded like. Exactly. Gunpowder and freaking deer piss. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, My oldest boy, Connor, got his first deer. That was cool. I got a nice nice buck up there as well. Then I came back to Wisconsin just in time to get in on the opener, and I have another one in the freezer, so doing well. Um, I think that's about, uh, that's where I'm at there. What have you got, Sean? You did a little uh, listener survey action. Listener survey. So I put some questions together and uh, posted them out there. If you want to take part, if you haven't already, go to gamingnbs.com forward slash survey. It'll take you to a Google Plus survey page. Just getting some feedback from you, the listener. Um, we There's like 13 questions. It's really quick. I know how surveys can really suck. There's two open-ended ones, which is like, how do we, how do, how are we good and how do we suck? And those are pretty important and left those open-ended. Um, and a couple optional questions in there. So really it comes down to like 11 questions and they're kind of multiple choice like this, this, you rank us, but it's just, uh, I want to make sure that we're doing okay. Like if somebody's like, man, this segment sucks or the sound quality blows, you know, I want to nip that in the bud. And if we don't ask uh, we shall not receive. So if you're interested in doing that, by all means, please go to gamingandbs.com forward slash survey. For those of you that have done it, thank you so much. Very much appreciated. I know you didn't have to do it. Um, in addition to that, I know a lot of people, one of the questions on the survey is, would you be interested in recording a teaser or intro? And if you are, a lot of folks said, yeah, sure. So if you are... This is what I would like to see happen. All right, you ready for this? So just get your cell phone or recorder of some kind, whether it's maybe in your microphone on your desktop and you got a recorder app and record. Here's kind of the the intro to the show is this is, 
your name. Could be just your first name. If you want to pimp a website or podcast that you do, that's cool too. You could say your location if you're not pimping your podcast or website. Just say, hey, I'm I'm Sean from Madison, Wisconsin, and you're listening to Gaming NBS, or you're listening to Brett and Sean from Gaming NBS. All right, that's what we would use for an intro. If you want to just do a, a teaser kind of thing, um, one one we ask for is, uh, hey, this is Sean, and I'm completely full of Gaming NBS. And send them, send them in, and we'll rotate them into the show at the beginning or throughout the middle of the shows. If you screw up, send those in. We we just hit it and try we like have a blooper set. Yeah, we want a blooper set. So it's okay if you screw up. Just like gaming and be send it in. We're, what I'd like to do at the end of the year, which isn't far off, is put in a blooper reel and uh, and do that. So don't be afraid to to send us in the screw ups. Now don't send like ten of them. You know, don't send in ten of the screw ups. Uh, like one. One or two is fine. Uh, <laughs> this five gigs of you, you, yeah. you, you stumbling through a very simple thing or me stumbling through it. Don't do that. Five do hours that. of five second blooper, blooper teaser intros. So go ahead and do that. That's, uh, and then I also, the other thing that I wanted to mention, uh, in addition to that is thanks to Phil, Phil Vecchione and Chris sneeze, the sneeze act over at misdirected Mark for allowing me to co-host an episode Phil was out, and I will thank my kind co-host Brett for not giving me any grief and yeah, saying, "It's coming, it's by, coming." By all means, he was very encouraging. He says, "Yeah, I would absolutely do it." As a matter of fact, I thought he was asked before me because he's much more articulate and well-refined individual, and he was not available because he's out killing animals. And so I, uh, I was on episode one eighty-two, and we talked about modules. So if you haven't checked out Misdirected Mark ever, I would start with episode 182. That totally makes sense. I mean. And go forward from there. Right? <laughs> well, you could at least check with that one. And if you don't like it, well, I don't know what to tell you. If you don't like that one, you're probably not going to like anything you hear here either. So anyway. <laughs> All right. The other one I had, um, Evercon is coming. I've got another link up there, evercon.com. We've got a banner on our website. Um, it's the uh, first bit in January. It's a fun little gaming convention that I go to. It's, um, uh, let me make sure I got the dates here correctly. It just, it runs a Friday and Saturday. It's a short little bit. Um, but uh, if you're going to, if you think you can show up, it's January 15th through the 16th. Um, They've got open registration. You can pre-reg online. People are still uh, putting games out there and stuff. Some friends and I are going to run some two-hour game slots. My buddy Kevin uh, Lovecraft, Kev Thulu, is going to be putting some uh, fate together, I think, for the guys there and whatnot. So it's uh, it's going to be fun. So if you can get there, show up. It's a lot of fun. He was Link here. in the show notes. Yeah, Kevin was here. He's going to run yeah, fate. I think, a, I, think, I think he's going to run some fate accelerated. Let's do the uh, oh, random did, counter. Yeah. Did you tell everybody where to go for the con? Oh, evercon.org. E-V-E-R-C-O-N.org. Uh, Sorry. Check it out, man. All right. Let's get into uh, random encounter. Do the thing. So random encounter is a part of the show where we talk about uh, or field emails, voicemails, social media, comments on our blog, etc. 
We've got a few here regarding episode 61, which is dark and gritty. We've got a couple on episode 62, which is horses and hirelings or living gear. Where do you want to start, Brett, man? Start with uh, Austin's bit. You got it? I got it. So Austin, fan of the show, in our game group, no less. He writes regarding dark and gritty on episode 61. I think the term you're looking for is stylized and upbeat. I'd also say it's important to note you can have an upbeat, gritty game or a stylized, dark game. It's two sliding scales independent of each other. It's too much of a kid's thing, quote, unquote, is a funny complaint to me since you hear that about role-playing games from people who don't care for or respect it. Generally speaking, I find that one of the best parts of being an adult is I don't have to give a shit about how adult something is. That's for insecure teens. I really like a lot of things that aren't particularly dark or gritty, since, as gets mentioned in the podcast, complexity and difficult choices are independent of either of those. Often, I find dark and gritty difficult choices are less interesting because they can feel futile if things are far enough into the void. So here's the fun part. I'm going to go ahead and mention my favorite kids show and recommend it to everyone. Wack-Fu. I'm not making that up, ladies and gentlemen. It's Wack-Fu. Some of them. (laughs) W-A-K-F-U. I just felt like that with the pause. Keep going. Uh, Wack-Fu is a really goddamn good cartoon for children. Way to sum that up. Like, hey, it's good for your fucking kids. Motherfucker. Keep going. <laughs> it's an it's an absolute ton of fun, and you might be surprised by some of the complexity of it. I suggest you find the subtitled version of it since the villain of the first season has an absolutely fantastic VA. What's VA? Voice act? Voice actor. Voice actor, I think. Anyone else have similar recommendations recommendations for good things that might get devalued as childish, but you really love? Hmm. Well, um, Kev, uh, Kevin, Austin had put this up on Google Plus, and I responded, I don't think the stylized and upbeat counterpoint um, that he was, because I was looking for a different way to say dark and gritty versus heroic, and <clears throat> clearly that wasn't the right term for it. Stylized and upbeat doesn't do it for me. I think it's on the right path. I've, I'm not convinced that that's necessarily the right thing. My comment around it being too much of a kid's thing is that the heroic or stylized and upbeat to use Austin's parlance here, is sometimes the darker, grittier, more realistic in some of those harder choices or the things we discussed in that show sometimes can be seen as more um, complex and complex being adult. And childish is not necessarily a bad thing, but simple. Um, it's not necessarily, hey, we're paladins and it's obviously they're evil orcs, therefore all the orcs must be killed. Um taking it to a level that goes beyond that rudimentary or very basic version. Not that that's not fun or wrong, bad fun in any way. So I kind of get where he's coming from there. And it's, I did not mean to say that a certain type of role-playing was childish, i.e. stupid or boring or dumb or, and and not to uh, show disrespect for it, but it was uh, simply a comment that I'd made there. So I apologize if I offended anybody. So cool. Sean, do you have anything that might someone might see as childish or simple that you still really like? You know, I haven't gone back and watched any of my animated stuff that I grew up with that would interest me. Although, I think Nick on Google+, Plus, Nick A, is posting art 
of certain things, like uh, certain artists. And Battle of the Planets was some of the yes uh, artwork cool. it was taken after. And I grew up on Battle of the Planets, and I thought that was like the greatest cartoon ever made. Yeah, that was awesome. And I haven't gone back to it. Uh, to watch it to see how it's aged. But I, I find out that a lot of stuff that I like as a kid just doesn't age well for me. And maybe that's just because I'm I'm old and crusty now. I don't know. But One of the ones that uh, that Joe Swick mentions in the chat over here is uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. There is a, uh, a love I have for it to the original, the Eastman Laird uh, black and white comics. And um, <clears throat> a friend of mine even had the uh, the counterpoint to that, which, which was adolescent radioactive black belt hamsters. That was a comic book. I shit you not. Yeah. Um, but anyway, then there's there were variations of TMNT where it kind of went off the rails, like ah, too too silly, too whatever. But there's always been a hook to me when I see it out there. I'm like, I want to see what they've done with it. I want to see what they've done with it to change it. And uh, I am a fan of the newer cartoon. My son and I, my youngest boy AJ, loves it, and we have a lot of fun with it. Part of it is that you know I got to admit I like ninjas. If it's got ninjas in it, it's it's cool. Happy, so, I think ha- I think Happy Jacks or somebody was talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, some of the original stuff that came out, and how how really dark and oh, it was dirty it was. People yeah, got, people got murdered and killed yeah. and stabbed in the head, and it was it was tough. Yeah. Anyways, cool. Thank you, Austin. Yeah, Austin. Next one is episode 62, Horses and Hirelings. This is from a Google Plus post here. So we talked about different bets there. If you haven't listened to it or any of the others, start at one, work your way forward, get to 62. By then, you'll be fully caught up on the grand mythology that is gaming and BS. Tim Jensen said, why would you not be playing Apocalypse World? You little smiley face there. If you're playing in the AD in the D&D wheelhouse, you can just follow the same general principles. Treat hirelings as NPCs, give everyone a name and personality, make up relationships with other NPCs, and explore those in play. Don't overdo it. You don't want personal drama interfering with the monster bashing. This, is, this isn't uh, Apocalypse World after all. But get the players to like them enough that they feel the loss when a hireling dies. And make the players keep track of their hit points and supplies. The DM already has too much to do. And I do agree with Tim. That's kind of one of the things that Sean and I talked about is that that balance between, um, excuse me, <clears throat> of um, making it too much bookkeeping craziness, but still making them real and constantly involved. Angela Murray kept going on the topic there, and she said, I was a little hesitant with the topic, figuring it would be a little too old school for my taste, but this is one, <clears throat> but this one was a fun one, and I liked how the ultimate message was to find the balance between treating the henchmen and horses like real, valuable creatures and annoying the players with minutia. With my players, I try to avoid being too evil with their stuff or their creatures, because otherwise they will spend an inordinate amount of time focused on those things, and about three hours of a four-hour session will involve telling me how they're keeping their horses safe. And that's not fun for anyone, not even the horses. <laughs> They're bored at that point, too. Angela, that's based, That's a very good point. It can lead to turtling of a different variation, right, where you're in there working with it, and then it becomes we're always, quote-unquote, out to get the mages um, familiar. <clears throat> and then he takes his little closet or pseudo-dragon or his toad, and he just hides it and protects it as best he can. And, you know, oh, my God, it can, it can drag the whole game down. <clears throat> Shane Freeman kept going with the, uh, with the thread there. To answer all the, the answer to all this is very simple, he says. Take two horses, one continual light rod, an elemental priest of the air with a crate air spell modified from crate water, two large bales of hay or oats, one portable hole, and a large shovel. <laughs> I like where this is going. Do not put the war dog in the portable hole with the horses. If you need to place dogs in a portable hole, substitute meat for hay. The dog isn't that heavy anyway and will fit in your bag of holding it as long as you leave it open so we can stick his head out. 
I love that. If you're using a grayed out bag of holding, it would be tough as nails anyway. Shane, <laughs> you won the post. You won the thread there, Shane. That's awesome. Love it, love it, love it. Nicely done. Angela, right. Angela, Angela is in our in our chat room, by the way. Oh, awesome. Uh, let's see. Next moving one. moving on to Eric Farmer continues. Continues on G plus living gear as force multiplier. One part of the gear episode that was missing was talking about why characters have horses, hirelings and more dogs. All this living gear lets you push farther, go faster, recover faster and gain more loot. Brett and Sean talked about the cost, but both monetary and personal to have these resources to really make living gear be relevant. There's some assumptions that need to, to be stated. Encumbrance matters. Distance and relative dangers matter. Time matters. If the PCs have a bag of holding, can fly or teleport, have uh, have infinite food and healing, horses and hirelings are pretty useless. However, if you have two days to get somewhere and it's a week's walk and there's no flying carpets around, a horse might be a good idea. Bringing horses into a dangerous area? Maybe hire a guy to watch them for you. While he's at it, maybe he can rustle up some grub. Find a solid gold statue that weighs 500 pounds? Without that wagon, that shit stays in the dungeon. Living gear is a hassle for sure, especially if you haven't thought about why it's even in the game. Bringing it along won't help every time. Horses die, harlings also die or quit. But when you have them, the PCs can accomplish so much more than they could without them. We talked about that a little bit on the show, but probably didn't dig into it deeply enough. But that that's kind of the whole reason why there were all the hiring rules and so on out there uh, in the old school AD&D days and, and so forth, because you needed those things. If you didn't have the, the meat shield or the people to carry stuff to porters and, and guides and sages and people to give you intel um, or, or to, dra- to drag with you to carry your stuff, it just was impossible to do it. And the rules were kind of set where they encouraged you strongly. It's been a while since I've read them in depth, but it felt very encouraged or like I was encouraged very strongly through that reading to say, you know what? I really need to have this thing. Cause if I don't have hirelings, if I don't have henchmen and, and gear, horses, wagons and all that shit, I, I, I don't know if I get all my loot back. So. Yeah. Well, and the thing is that we were talking about encumbrance in one episode and how we may hand wave some of that. And the thing is, is, I think when things start to get manipulated by either the players or the game master, then you got to start getting down into, into things. Right. So for example, <laughs> my buddy doc, whenever we play D and D pathfinder, whatever version, he's got it written on the back of his, his notepad. And on the back, he holds it up and it says, we gray hawk it. And so whenever <laughs> they're done with an encounter, he just holds up his notepad to the GM forum to see here him or her to see. And it says we Greyhawk it, which means we, we, I, I we search loot, under everything. I loot the room. Loot I the toss shit everything. Yeah. yeah. So the thing is, I mean, literally I think I ran the slavers, uh, a, was it a zero or a one? Anyways, it's, you go into this house kind of to a mine, you know, there's tapestries hanging and they're worth a hundred gold pieces and the rug and, whatever, all the ornate furniture. And of course, when they clear out the place, they're like, I Greyhawk it. So they want all that crap. 
So then I'm like, well, wait a minute, that's not going to work. You know, where are you going to take it out with? And then you got to get into the encumbrance piece of it. Oh, man, I am. It's either me breaking up or is it you, Brett? I can't hear you. Great. This is awesome. Hold on a second. Yeah. So sometimes I think you got to get into the nuances of the encumbrance piece if they're going to load up all their crap, even what you used to hand wave, right? Before Brett dropped off, I'm kind of reiterating what I said. So I apologize for repeating myself. But if somebody's going to go into a house or a dungeon and they're going to remove every single item out of there, what might have been hand waving as far as encumbrance goes, then it's like, well, wait a minute. Now I'm going to, I'm going to put that into the, into the rules of the game now, just because if you're not hand waving what we, what you grab or I don't know, you know what I'm saying, Brett? I totally get it. There's a certain point when depending on whatever hand, whatever rule you're going to get certain rules like this are kind of minutia rules or realism rules. I think um, that at some point they're going to hit you. And you're like, oh, shit, we didn't discuss that at the table. I didn't say, oh, by the way, this is how I handle it when you Greyhawk the room or when you do this other thing. You're going to run into that. And sometimes it, it you need to take the break and say, okay, guys, look, you know, we can either hand wave this or we can get a little more realistic on it, but just be aware this is what it's going to do. It's the balance, yeah. you know, as we talk about. So you just got to – and it's goofy because every group has their own variation of it. I remember back in high school, no one gave a shit. If you said a Greyhawk it, really? Yeah, I carry out the entire Dragon's Horde. Whatever. Okay. I got 50,000 copper pieces. Yes, I do. Okay. Right, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it just it was just flat ignored and no one gave a shit. Yeah. Once we got, and this is kind of what I think led to my, my childish or simple comment in the episode was that as I got older and people were like, no, 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 I want a little bit more realism. I want a little more dark and gritty. I want something that tells me that I can't do that thing, you know, without a decent explanation. It leads, leads to a level of complexity that sometimes, if you're not careful, can lead you down a, a rabbit hole. Like Angela talks about, the, you, you become turtled just over the uh, the complexity nature of it, you know, to make sure your horses are safe and that the hirelings are perfectly fed for the next two weeks and blah, 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 can be overwhelming. So, yeah. All right. Shall we get on to the topic? The topic? Do you have, a, do you have an intro for this one? <laughs> yeah. You didn't the last two. I'm it's, just making sure. Well. You're on your game now? Okay. I try. There you go. Do it, man. Treachery runs deeper than you know. Entish all the tongues of men for this trick. Old age and treachery. What are we talking about this week, Brett? Well, after um, Sean and Chris over at Misdirected Mark, basically, you know, kind of whatever, didn't even bother to invite me, just kind of drug Sean in there and uh, kind of made Phil and I feel like a little third wheel action. You know, I figured we'd talk about treachery, you traitorous prick. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But honestly, I was thinking, I was thinking about it and... Uh, we give each other shit. We give those guys crap. They give us crap back and forth. It's fun. And we have, we've done this before where we said, Oh God, Phil's turning trader. He's going to go join the gaming BS crew. Oh, Sean's turned trader. And 
this it made me think of all things it made me think of shadows over camelot it's a board game i don't know if anybody out there has played it but i love that game and i've also played battlestar galactica the board game love that as well one of the reasons my group and i love those games is there is a traitor in there so <laughs> they they, along, they take against the board no so they they do like they get the wood and the stone and the wheat no no no, no they no, trade no, no. it Trade no, it back not trader, traitor. Oh, traitor. 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 So we're going, and you're playing against the board in um, Shadows Over Camelot. You're trying to do this. You're fighting the Saxons. You're fighting the Vikings. You're doing this thing. You're on a quest, doing all this crap. And all of a sudden, the one guy who's been kind of playing possum, laying back, you call him out go, son of a bitch, you're the traitor. You're the bad guy in the knights at the table. Flip. <clears throat> He's out to destroy the whole game. Similar thing happens in Battlestar Galactica. You go, son of a bitch, Sean's a Cylon, and you got to go take care of it. Um, I have played a number of RPGs where I have been the traitor, where my character has sold his soul or done something, and I'm like, you know, I'm going to screw the, I'm going to end up doing this thing because I'm playing my character. It seems like that kind of game. I sell the team out. What? And gasp, uh, <laughs> gasp. I have had it where a lot of, where I've had players. Um, partner up with somebody back in the vampire days where my buddy Boyd and Lenny were playing these characters are very, very tight. They were kind of friend enemies type of thing going back and forth. Frenemies. And um, frenemies. And Boyd had uh, let Lenny just set up a couple different times and totally turned traitor on him. And they would get these other people to come in. They would just fuck each other over left and right. If, if you play Amber long enough, somebody somewhere turns traitor on you. It just happens. Um, and I think... In uh, even in a game like if I um, it's been a while I've not played but I've read uh, Houses of the Blooded by John Wick, that's another one where the potential to have a traitor at the table or in the or in the LARP or whatever it is is possible. I mean you see it in a lot of uh, TV shows and whatnot. So my thought though <clears throat> is that is this how delicate of an issue is that at the game table right? Even board, I know some people who don't like to play uh, Shadows of Camelot because they don't like the traitor aspect of it. Like, look, if we're going to play a co-op board game, I don't want to be worried that someone at the co-op table is not actually co-oping. They're here to screw the game. I don't want to do that. I want to play. I want to play together. I want to play a party. Um, kind of that D and D type of feel to to use that language, where you know I don't want to have to deal with the fact that there's a chaotic evil thief in the party and everyone else is lawful good, neutral good, or chaotic good. And there's one bastard in there who is going to be neutral or chaotic neutral and sell the party out. Ha ha ha. And that, that tends to piss some people off and leads to bad feelings. So Sean, have you had, have you had traders in your games or have you ever been the trader or have you seen it happen in your games? Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. Yeah. You got to throw the party, the, uh, <laughs> you gotta have the nice guy betray the party. That's only natural. Now, when you do it though, is it NPCs that do it, or do you are you doing it as a player character? Or do you coach people as oh, player characters? Oh, yeah, that I usually don't have take place, and that's usually because I tell people like, "Hey, man, don't man, that PvP stuff." I don't know because you can really. You're right; it can get some people pretty heated. So I don't. Uh, I usually don't have players do it necessarily unless they're they're taken over for some reason. Maybe they're possessed or, you know, they're not under their own control at that point. But, right. yeah, usually NPCs. And even then it's really tough to pull that off because usually if you do it once, then the party's always like, 
I don't Probably trust looking them. for you. I never trust them. You know, okay, are you going to sleep? Ah, I sleep with one eye open. Okay, so you're not going to get any rest. Well, I don't care. I mean, then it just becomes, and it takes so long to <clears throat> like develop that because you can't spring the trader <clears throat> on them anytime yes. soon, right? Because then it's like, I knew it. Where did they go? Where did they go? Oh, they went to go pick up wood. Did they come back with wood? Oh, I bet she's <laughs> plotting her. It's like, oh, Bastards. Come on, man. I think um, my experience with board games like Shadows Over Camelot or, as Joe was mentioning, on the side of not played it, but be Betrayal at the House of the Hill. I've heard about that one as well. You've got traders. It's an important aspect of the game. When you when it's a board game, <clears throat> apart from having certain folks that, you know, do the whole flip the table, God damn it, I lost. They're just bad losers or they don't like that type of feel. They just get way too into whatever it is. I find that board games that have it tend to be a lot less. Oh, you played the game. The rules are very codified. They're this thing. The rules are set up like this, so on and so forth. And then <clears throat> when it translate that over to an RPG, like, OK, we start off as a group of, of adventurers and. We're going along, and the bad guy, be it a vampire, a lich, uh, a cleric of an evil god, whatever, finds a way to corrupt the hearts and heart and mind of one or maybe two members of the player character group, and then you end up with this. Okay, um, yeah, I steal the artifact from so and so, or even not as overt as that, they withhold information or let or lead people into traps or <clears throat> actively try to physically backstab people or, or so on. And there's a level in uh, RPGs that from a bad feelings perspective, when it becomes PVP, if your group doesn't like the player versus player aspect of it, it gets ugly fast. It does. No question about it. <clears throat> people get ticked off, man. That's why I'm like, they, they totally do. Don't get into a party scenario where like, you know, I've created a couple of different games and, the last thing I want anybody to do is not to have some type of connection with the rest of the party. And then they question why they're with them and they're secretly like bad. And you know, they're about to screw everybody over and they're you know, <laughs> just waiting for the right time to do it. Cause when that, when that hits the fan, man, players now, will get super pissed off. <laughs> If you set the game up at the beginning, and this comes down to the communication, communication, communication thing we and other folks have talked about before. When we get together at the group, say, okay, this is the type of game. It's going to be kind of that backstabby, you know, there's going to be some plotting and planning and, the, you know, the you're going to have the friend enemies type of thing going on. If you talk with that language or perhaps better language, <laughs> more, more, uh, more, more evocative than what I'm using here. But if you get people to understand what that, what the what the potential there is then they start seeing that okay that's um there's the the npcs perhaps may not all be trusted i i've always understood that oh okay and player characters are allowed to have their own ulterior motives and various different components um if you if you get the table says yes we're down with that um what i have started to do um at the beginning when i when i first started introducing this i could see some of the bad feelings come up was i would take the player um who was turning traitor or who had turned traitor or starting to betray and all that stuff, pull them into a private conversation, <clears throat> either at take a break or go, Hey, let's go in the other room for a second. I got to talk to you and say, okay, I got slapped the shit on What the fuck is wrong with you? Um, no, <laughs> shake him vehemently. <laughs> just shake him with the nape of the neck. Just shake him. God damn it. I said that's bad. You can't fool anybody, Brad. Everybody's got, got your number. Yeah, everybody's got your number, man. Yeah. I take him and in then, the room. I, I talk to him. Whatever. Yeah. 
He comes back with a black eye and bruised ribs and talk, he plays better. So talk to them, right? Anyway, I would uh, would go through and say, look, if you go down this path where you're heading right now, this is what's going to happen. Are you prepared that the whole party can turn on you and may kill you? Oh, I really don't want to have this character die. <clears throat> okay, just telling you, if you keep going down this road, and sometimes the players I, I run this with have felt trapped where their character, they're playing very true to character, they're having a really good time, and they're going along saying, you know, I, the deal was too good to pass up. I didn't know I'd be selling these people out. I, I You really kind of, the NPC screwed me, and God, I feel like I made a horrible decision. I'm like, okay, <clears throat> great moral dilemma time. This this could be fun. So is there someone in the party, and then you start coaching them. Is there someone in the party that you would trust, that you think you can confide in, that you could do something to try to dig yourself out of this hole? <laughs> or can you turn on the bad guy? Um, it never, it never works out, man. I don't care. Like you could do all the closet, like, Hey man, come with me in the hall. Yeah. You've probably works, dude. Your, your, your game group though is not, it's not average, man. Hey man. What I'm I'm saying is that it's a thing that you, it's a technique or a tip that's worked for me. I don't know whether or not would work for you, but the other component of it is that when it starts to get kind of crazy is We've talked about like tension at the table before is you have to break it at some point. We say, okay, let's take a break right now. Wow. It's getting kind of crazy. Let's just take a break. Everyone smoke. You've got them. Let's go get a beer. Let's grab a, grab a snack or something and just take a break because when it gets, when it gets like that, stepping outside and having person, having player to player versus character to character conversations can kind of help bring the group to understand that, Oh, okay. This, this is the thing that's happening. I get it. It's just your character. It's not you. You haven't betrayed me as Brett. You haven't betrayed Sean. It's just Kevin who's doing this thing. And it's he and Phil came up and they, they work closely with Chris and they're screwing these guys over, but it's all fun in the game. No, that's cool. Totally makes sense. I'm with you. Okay. Let's get into it. But if you don't think you can handle it or if it's not something you want to do, I would, um, my advice would be to try to shut it down. Because you're going to, at some point in your gaming career, run into the player who wants to do it. Because they've made a character that likes to betray people, or they as a player like to do that type of thing. Yeah. And you gotta, <sighs> it's something you got to watch for, because if they do it, and you, know, and you haven't prepared the group for it or whatever, it can get kind of dicey. So players, even if you get players that do it, okay, great. So Brad has a group that players are like, yep, I'm totally down with that. They go have a smoke break. The tension's broken. But you still got to you still gotta contend with the player character that betrayed your player character. So even if you're like, hey, I'm down with that. I'm not pissed off at the player because that's kind of how they roll. That's fine and dandy. But I'm still going to be, as a player character, going to be pissed off at somebody that's stabbed me in the back or stolen loot or... Whatever they've done, whatever treachery, whatever treachery they've performed. Gone on another podcast and recorded without you. I told you I was going to be on their show, you dick. (laughs) So it doesn't always have to come to physical death between the characters, right? No. What I've seen, so depending, again, if you're playing a game like a and d and someone steals the artifact and runs off to Vecna and haha, betrays the whole party, like, really, motherfucker, you just did what to us? Or if you're playing a game like an Amber or um, or a, a Nice Black Agents or something where you betrayed them to the bad guys or perhaps an, or a, say you're playing a, a sci-fi game, you betrayed them to another um, outlaw group of space bandits. You've done something in a um, uh, you, you turn out you're the mole in a um, in an espionage game. Right. Oh, hey, <clears throat> Did somebody say <laughs> and, you, and, and you pull that off, then. 
so what, where am I going with this? So if you do that type of thing, then the other players say, okay, great. I don't have to shoot you in the face. I can actually come back at it and say, okay, how do I discredit you? How do I do all that? Oh, that's how you want to play? Okay, fine. I'm going to fight fire with fire. I'm going to use my contacts. I'm going to bankrupt you. I'm going to take away the property you own. You know that favorite sports car you drive? I'm going to flatten all four tires and, and key it or do something. There's other ways to get back at it. And I think some of those plots and counterplots between characters in that type of game can be a hell of a lot of fun. But it, the group has to want to do it. Because if they don't want to do it, the resentment and frustration can get a little high. And the other thing that I like to do to encourage within the group is saying, look, you don't have to kill the son of a bitch every time. She might have totally screwed you over, but you don't have to just hunt her down and kill her. What you should be doing is trying to figure out a way, if you want to get even, how do you get even without killing her? Right. Yeah, she's dead. Okay, but guess what? If you got even and hurt her character even worse, that's vengeance. You get to look in her eye and go, ha, I got you. And uh, that stops that stops some of the um, it still gets tense, but it's more of a competition tenseness versus a I have to kill you tenseness, which I've I have found in my games to be a little bit different. Okay, Sean, just you just staring at me like I'm wrong. I'm not sure there's a question behind that. (laughs) I think (laughs) (laughs) so. Do you when you play or when you game master? And you see this coming, or if it has happened, what's it done? What has it done? Have you, have you like, oh my god, it only breaks down and just becomes hell, or what? I dep- it depends, but usually it's not good, and it it's never really the 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 premise is never really put down. It's not seen otherwise. It's because treachery usually is a surprise, right? You usually don't. Hey. I'm hey, I let's saw it create a, a mile away. That's the mole in the agency. No, no. He's the guy who's betrayed the CIA. Right, exactly. A month ago. Let's yeah. create a game. And oh, by the way, I'm gonna create a guy that's totally gonna screw all you over. All right, cool. <laughs> I mean it's not gonna, good. Yeah, y'all down with that? Hey, and by the way, it's nothing personal. <laughs> just so you know. Just, just so you know. I'm player gonna, to player, <laughs> right? It's just yeah. my player character, right? You're gonna get screwed five ways from Sunday, and I'm gonna do it. So Just most of the, you know. so most of the time, once when it when it happens, you don't actually plan it out, and so when you when it depends, like yeah, okay, you get, you see it coming. Espionage games are a little unique because you can actually put it in the plot, right? I've talked about this on a prior episode where I've ran in Chad Parrish's game, Chad Parrish, host of. Oh, I think he's like Game School, which he just put out, and uh, Dead Game Society podcast. Uh, runs espionage games and at a con he says you know you're a group of covert ops going into berlin and one of you one of you are going to be a mole and that's usually at the beginning of the game or maybe none of you will be the mole who knows but that's possible within the bounds of the game before it even takes off but typically when you're playing a homebrew game you're not usually bringing that up unless you do it like that but i've never run a game where it's like hey just so you guys know, we're going to run this D&D game, and one of you guys are going to screw the other ones over. Cool. Or the potential that is there is there. Well, right. right. I mean, the, the, there's potential. Yeah, well, the, but the players, so, it's on the players' so, hands on what they do. It is, and I think part of that, though, comes down to, even if you don't have the, look, I'm going to run a D&D game in Brett's Avalon world. You're going to be in the city. And it's very cutthroat, noirish, and people are trying to figure different things out. You got factions fighting against other people. You got different thieves guild trying to do different things back and forth. You know what? I don't know. 
don't be, you know, we're, it's going to play in my terms. We go, Hey, look, this could get kind of vampire. Everyone goes, Oh yeah. I remember the old vampire games, kind of that PVP plots and counter plots. Okay, cool. We're good with that. That sounds good. If that's not, if you don't have that background with a group and you're in there, you're going to play forgotten realms. You're going to play Ebron or, <clears throat> or whatever the, the, um, the, the D and D ish setting, if you will, of your choice <clears throat> at a certain point, you don't, how do I do this? You, you have to say what, what you, is you're going to do. And sometimes by virtue of describing what the game is going to be about and the types of characters that make sense and so forth, you can weed out that type of thing. And some of it too, when you read, <laughs> we've all seen as a game master, at some point you've seen a character's background or the character idea they've given you. And you're like, um, yeah, it basically says here, line three, paragraph four, the fifth page that you're a son of a bitch. And uh, your whole plan is to screw over her, him, her, and him. Wow, no, this character doesn't fit. And that's where I think sometimes we have to be able to say no. That doesn't that doesn't fit the type of game, the genre, the feel, the setting, the tropes we're doing here. And, what happened uh, to the yes and? You can do a yes and. Yes, you're an a-hole and. <laughs> and everyone's going to kill you. Are you okay with that? <laughs> that's, that's a good and. I like that. <laughs> it's a damn good and. <laughs> but I think that, so if we're playing Star Wars, like we're going to be playing... If I was going to be, if I'm like, look, I'm making a really dark Sith Lord guy. I want to be that guy. You, you may, I would expect you to say, dude, that's not the premise of the game. That's not what we're doing. That doesn't work. Um, no, you can't do that. So I think that even if you don't overtly say it's allowed, stick to, because sometimes, I get, how do I do this? Sometimes you don't always know what to tell people isn't allowed. Right. It's easier to say, look, we're going to do this type of game. Everyone goes, oh, that sounds great. This is the feel. This is the 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 tropes and the genre. I think we're going to do It's going to be a um, an espionage game. Cold War. Wow. OK. Cold War plots, counterplots, spies, insurgents, moles. That's all the shit that's running through my head. So my first thought is going to be, OK, it's all right if the characters um, betray each other. It's po- totally possible. If you tell me we're playing a Star Frontiers game, excuse me, the Star Trek game, uh, Star Trek game, we're on the bridge of the Enterprise or some other thing like that. It's potential that we may run into some space time continuum thing through some weird dust cloud in space. And then, boom, everyone's got, you know, goatees and they're evil Spock. Oh, fuck, I got to deal with evil Spock. Now he's possessed or something's happened. Um, That type of thing is logical within that setting. That's Um, different, though. It absolutely is. So I think by laying out what it is you're going to do, when someone tries to do the traitor aspect, if they try to betray and they try to turn it into that type of game because they as players like to do that, you have a lever that you can pull that says that doesn't fit here. And you can pull the character aside and say, no, you can't, or that doesn't work right, or yes, but, or yes, and your way out of it. Does that make sense? It does, but the examples are not good. Give me better ones. Um, yeah, it'd be a tough one. I think it's the espionage one where you go, "Hey, when you guys are going to be a mole, or it's going to get com- the plot is going to get complex, where things people may do things that make it look like you're kind of screwing over your own party, but maybe it's for a better reason." And that that's hard to pull off, but I think that's the way to go. I think what you mentioned in outline ends up falling to you take away the player. Uh, agency, agency, right? Because you're gonna go, hey, you're in a mirror, mirror world in Star Trek, right? That's kind of 
I'm possessed now, so play that role. Or, hey, you're charmed now. Oh, okay. Or, hey, now you're under the control okay, of I this. Buy that. Right? So it's a well, little guess- it's a little different than, hey, I'm going to write up my 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 PC and this is what motivates them, screwing people over for money. Oh, okay, that'll work out great. And that's usually yeah. the premise. Um, or maybe they're putting in a... See, I think the things that you have to kind of facilitate as a GM to get into this treachery piece is you put in a plot point where you, you Brett, your player character uh, is put into a, a situation that acts against their typical more moral ground. So for example, maybe uh, somebody has your family and they've taken them prisoner and in exchange for the party. And you're going to turn the party over, but you're doing it because you are trying to get your family. Otherwise you would never dream of doing that. Right. So it's under duress. You do it, but it's under duress and there's a plot behind it. So then what happens is you get your family, then you feel guilty. Then you want to kind of bring it back and save the party again. Okay. So in that piece, then if we talk about game master, I like, I like where you're going here because the other thing I can do then is if you do a piece where you have, you can take the party, depending on how many players you have. You can take some, most, or perhaps even all of them. They're working for a king, just to, you, to use a fantasy type saying. They're working for a king to do a job. Rival kingdom comes up and says, look, do this other thing for me. I'll double your pay. Just betray him. And look, I'll, I'll make sure it all goes away and so on. Um, <clears throat> very cheap kind of uh, qu- quick example there. But when you do that, when you pull people and you tell them that, hey, NPCs are willing to do this and they're willing to offer it to one or excuse me, to two or three or four or all of the players at the table, then they know that that type of thing is out there. This world contains men and women or entities or whatever it is that are willing to offer you things to go against um, your team. You know, to, to, to give the opportunity and, and <clears throat> support and promote and reward betrayal and treachery. Lando Calrissian, so man. You, <clears throat> absolutely. So if you do that, then you have the opportunity to the group as player characters, they can decide, you know, no, I'm not into it. And they can start kind of policing each other and they say, OK, wait a minute. It was just offered out there. Do I really trust the thief? Do I really trust the, uh, you know, the, the guy who's a space smuggler or whatever the case is? So I think through use of plot points, NPCs, and so on, you can start to seed the fact that, excuse me, that the this type of treachery and betrayal is accepted, or it's it's going it's going to be a thing that your characters can revolve around from a plot point piece. And then, okay, they offered it to all of us. We had a discussion. Sean and Brett seemed totally against it, but Chris and Phil's characters thought, you know what? Yeah, we we maybe we should. We talked them off of it, but. They decided to go with Sean and Brett, and they're not going to betray the king this time. Great. Two sessions later, Sean and you know Sean and Brett are supposed to be meeting Chris and Phil, and you're like, where are they? They're late. We find the characters in a CDN talking to the same guy who offered betrayal before. What's going on? No, no, no. Everything's fine. They say, okay, then you've got some, you have some inner party conflict type of thing, but it's lighter. And you can kind of start, like I said, you seed it in and kind of see how the group reacts, and then you can work with it. Does that make sense? It does. I think NPCs pull it off better or worse. 
And I think that if I, if you, if we think about movies, maybe and books, I think a lot of the folks that screw over the party are usually non-player characters. Not always. Like the Italian job would be a good example where Ed Norton's character screws over the party early, but it's really early in the movie. And then he becomes the bad guy. I would consider NPC after the fact, but at the beginning you could, you could play him as an NPC as part of the, the heist group. But I don't know. Okay. I know that. I don't know, man. It's a goofy thing. We haven't, we've gone into a little player versus player, that type of um, the PVP action. And so this is perhaps a, a first foray into it, perhaps not our best, but I think if it's something you don't like as a game master, you need to be aware that it's going to happen at some point in your game mastering career. <clears throat> Somebody's going to try to betray the party. And sometimes betraying the party is as simple as the thief steals the ruby that's worth the most out of the dragon's hoard refuses to tell the party that it's there. People I see. I don't say, think that's, well, that's a big deal. Really. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Some people say it's not a big deal. Other people will. And that's one of those pieces that if your group reacts badly to that, i.e. they want to punch the player in the face because God damn it, she stole the ruby again or that's not how we want to play. Okay, you know, you, you might need to, you know, change the rules of the table or something, if you will. Um, but at some point within your career, either running it at a con or something, you're going to have somebody who wants to turn traitor on the group for their own character's benefit, whatever that happens to be. Some players have a penchant for it. I think I kind of do in a way when uh, my buddy Lenny's running games for whatever reason the last two or three times – Last three times, actually, I've like kind of turned on everybody for my own selfish purposes. Um, I'm a prick, I guess. What are you gonna do? Um, <clears throat> so it's gonna ha- it's gonna happen, and for me, when it's happened, my my key strategy to helping deal with it is is talking to people outside of the game, breaking go out of character, break the fourth wall, and say, "Look, Sean, if you do this, these are the ramifications that may or may not happen." Oh. Shit, I don't want to do that. If I were you, then Sean, I try to find a way out of it. They're like, nope, don't fucking care. I'm turning, I'm turning the whole crew over. I want to do this thing. It's gonna get my mom out of prison. Okay, fine. Off you go. And um, <clears throat> so then, when things start to happen in the group and starts to, if it gets a little squirrely or whatever, again, as the game master and other players at the table, you have to try to disassociate your player, personal, actual human being behind the dice passion. Versus what your character's passion may or may not be. And it's not always easy to tell the two apart. All right, man. That's was fair. That too, was that too much? No, I think that's good. If you have... It's it's tricky. I don't... It's tricky. I'd like to see what other people do with it. If you have experienced treachery in your tabletop role-playing game, how has, has that turned out? Has it turned out good or bad? Have Had you negotiated that within the game or out of game and how... Uh, do you allow it? Do you not allow it? Do you think it adds a level of complexity to your game that is welcome or not? Let you know, us is know. It extra diff, you know, are these difficult choices that you want in your game or are they difficult choices that, yeah, you have them there, but best if NPCs do it only, as Sean said, or whatnot. So it, like I said, it, it can, I've, my group um, loves it from time to time. There's other times though that it's not so welcome at the table and it comes down to the type of game we happen to be playing. So is it genre genre specific? I don't know. Yeah, let us know either on um, probably Google+, Facebook, Twitter. You can email us at gamingnbs at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your foray into 
party treachery. Let's and get- if you have better, if you have other board games that in, involve traitors and treachery, let me know because I fucking love those games. <laughs> All right, let's get into die roll. Die roll two to four miscellaneous points of gaming or geekery we want to share with you this week. Brett has two. I have. Making. A- I have four. I'm making a strong comeback from my zero of last week. I'm up to two. I've doubled my amount. Brett and I are going to have a little talk about that. (laughs) Yeah, I was busy. (sighs) Anyway, the first one is a quick little link to a prosthetic iron hand from a 16th century knight. This comes from a Facebook post from from Colin, one of the guys from the, the Dead Game Society had posted this up there. It's a, uh, it it looks like a gauntlet. It's a German mercenary knight. Um, and he ended up having this um, this prosthetic hand. It's just really, really cool looking. And it's one of those pieces that I've, when I've played fantasy games and um, centri- um, different time period pieces, we'll often get an argument of what type of technology or what would be available, right? I've played D&D. We're like, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get him to make me a bionic hand. And you're like, whoa, 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 we can't do that. We could obviously have this. You could obviously have that. I think the tech is there. So whenever I see these these pieces around, how someone was able to push technology at this time in history. It's pretty cool to me. And if nothing else, this, uh, this plus hand of Vecna, that just kind of writes itself. So there you go. Next one is a minimalist metal dice Kickstarter. Um, Sean, I've talked about this before. We've kind of have a, uh, I mean, I think every gamer out there has a love hate relationship with Kickstarter. There's just about as many, um, good stories as bad ones, but this is a uh, Zuccotti dice and it's a little Kickstarter about some minimalist metal dice. It doesn't look, um, uh, I don't know if I'm going to get in on this one or not. I, I may not. I think they're well over their uh, pledge goal. They've got six days left. So by the time this drops, people still have a chance to get in on it, in on it if they want. It seems kind of interesting. Take a look, see what you th- think. And uh, Sean, I will pass it over to you, sir interesting i don't know if they have aluminum and i thought i think that would be really light dice i don't know it could be you got titanium though interest interesting brett yeah see there come back with a good one customize the number one customizable customizable dnd dm screen basic pre-printed inserts for your 5e screen so if you have a screen that you can put inserts into I found a source where it's uh, some some PDFs you can get. Um, slide them in there. Good to go. Although I've heard- a number of folks out there that have claimed that if you build your own, if you're a game master and you build your own screen over time, just kind of like your reference manual that uh, really helps certain people master the game system because you find the charts and things you need. Well, I've it's heard like, that as a saying. It's like taking notes when you're in a lecture, right? Yeah, good point. Right. All right. Number two. D- I was thinking that guy. D&D enters virtual reality. Oh, boy. What? 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 Social virtual reality platform Altspace VR have today announced they're partnering, partnering with Wizards of the Coast, publisher of Dungeons and Dragons, to bring in the brand, in case you don't know, to bring the brand into virtual reality retaining the social aspects that makes the tabletop incarnation so popular. Bruce Cunnington pointed it out as well on Google+. So I give a little props to Bruce, even though I had it written down beforehand. No, that's, that's cool. That We've had a number of folks that have um, 
throwing out some really good stuff in our Google Plus uh, community and uh, even out of Facebook, things to call out in the little die roll here. So good work, Bruce. Yes. And so uh, my reaction to that little tidbit of news is fail. Internet, <laughs> internet gaming, tabletop gaming, fail. Yeah, it's one of those things that I think my post on Bruce's, I think my reply to Bruce's post was along the lines of, I don't think it's going to work, but it's heading. I mean, people are like, oh, potential, potential, potential. It's kind of like the 3D printer thing, right? We see it and we see potential of what we want it to be. I don't think it's there yet. Well, I think but so. Inter- interesting that there's interesting that it started. Keep going. So I think that the, the 3D printing piece will go move forward and it's yes. not going to have anything to do with tabletop gaming, right? So whoever is going to come out with like the models and the printing and the, 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 whatever the schematics will be a different, it'll be a different company like Reaper won't think of that. They, the, somebody else will do it and then they will become like the minis design plan planner provider. So you can buy the plans, insert them into your 3d printer and print them out. But I don't think they're going to be gaming associated. So the reason I say that is because thick, I don't know. They just kind of sit in like games workshop. Hello. You're, you're working on borrowed time here. Sell the plans to print your stuff. Yeah. We've talked about that before. We when, have. When, yeah. But I mean, the thing is with this, this whole plan with virtual reality and D and D great. Love the, the lot, some folks are like, there's nothing. I think somebody commented on the thread. Like there's nothing never. Uh, it'll never beat face-to-face, at-the-table, rolling dice. And I'm like, really, never? I mean, if we said never to everything, we'd be, I mean, I'd be bonking women over heads with clubs and dragging them back to the cave and discovering fire and making tire wheels. Even if it doesn't beat it, it's going to be an option that a certain generation of gamers will cut their teeth on, right? That will be how they they get in on it, so. Yeah, and I, Angela, that's how I flirt. <laughs> bopping women over with their heads with their club with a club um but also i think this will fail because hell i mean D before 4e they wizards put out this huge nice kind of presentation about making the virtual tabletop 3d eh, and that, that kind of didn't happen did fail it? fail and then they had oh oh and then 5e came along and they had that one uh digital company helping them out again like a different digital company fail fail so I think that there is just an ongoing they, they, trend they, here. They, I was going to say, <laughs> strike three, how many more do you need? Yeah. So no, we'll see. I mean, History whoever, would dictate. I mean, I would see something like an Oculus Rift. So what happens, I think, what you have to do in virtual reality is you set up the virtual reality, and then the gaming piece is an add-on, right? It's not It's not developed for role-playing games. It's developed for virtual reality that facilitates role-playing games. Mark my words, that's where it's going to come from. Well, I'll see what we can do. Next. Custom Tron Light Cycle board game. Hells to the yes. This was cool. Now, this is an older article. I think it was just released on the 16th of November. But originally, this was launched on, like, Ars Technica or, I don't know, some tech site in, like, 2012. But this person 
2011, actually. 2011, created a board game of Tron light cycles using plastic streaming pieces behind them. And I thought it looked freaking cool. That is neat. Cool. And then number four, Monster a Day Compendium. Homebrew content for D&D 5e. Somebody's putting it together. uh, So a bunch of monsters on Google Drive. And it looks really laid out pretty well considering it's on Google Docs. Um, and it looks like they're just adding, I don't know, I guess a monster a day, but it's all D and D five E compatible and well done. There's something really cool. I mean, if you play fantasy games, monsters and variations on that monster theme, I mean, there's a ton of different orcs and goblins and skeletons and whatever, but Sean and I've talked about this before. Sometimes the new creature helps to reestablish the wonder or the challenge to a group of players that are, for lack of a better phrase right now, jaded or over-experienced, if you will, with everything in the Monster Manual, whatever game system is. Then you throw something in, like, I don't know what that is. Oh, my God. Uh, it's cool. Yeah. And uh, if nothing else, creating monsters, it's fucking fun. Oh, my God. Sitting down and creating creatures, it's a hoot. I mean, I remember I, I did the tons of I still do it. It's fun. Creating creatures that do different things and all that. It's a blast. It's on, fun. On a similar topic, I went into the local game store this week, and guess what I saw on the shelf? Pathfinder Bestiary 5. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's a lot of monsters, man. That's a lot of goddamn monsters. Yikes. And that's not even including all the other... Um, the first four. OGL stuff that's out there. Well, the first four, yes. five, and all the OGL stuff, the Frog God games, and Toma people put out. Yeah. Toma Horse, I have that. Yeah. I could kill a, you could kill a man with that book. Things like two inches thick. Yeah, so that's uh, that wraps up my uh, die roll for the week. Uh, if you find something interesting and want to share it as a die roll, we will absolutely give you full credit. Let us know. Drop us a line on Facebook, Twitter. Just say, hey, man, use this for die roll. I thought this was cool. And Brett and I will go ahead and pimp that and uh, on the show and let everybody else know how cool it is. Uh, in Absolutely. Ad- so, but in addition to that, if you think things are cool, these things are cool. I'm holding up in my hand a dice bag that's created by Michael Aldhauser at Grade Out Productions. You can find his dice bags at gradeout.etsy.com. That's G-R-E-Y-E-D-O-U-T.etsy.com. He's the sponsor of the show. Makes custom-made dice bags. Two drawstrings. I happen to have one in my hand that shows an old blue and white old OSR-ish map on it. Get yeah, one. and this one I've got here is a uh, kind of a newer newer dungeon-type map. I've got four of them. They're yeah, awesome. Brett has four of them. I need to get more. And uh, just so you know, uh, the holidays are coming up, and Michael is having a mega sale. So if you go to the website I just quoted... In the left-hand side is going to be a mega sale. Those are things that he is currently in inventory that he will send out right away. So you don't have to wait for yours to be actually made. So they're going to be obviously not custom. Um, they're going to be ones that he's, again, already just put in inventory and needs to move. But you can get it a little bit quicker for your favorite gamer. Use- and if you uh, you opt to get uh, custom something or whatever, use the gaming NBS, um, all one word, and you get 10% off. So right there you go. You can use that on the mega sale. You can too. Holy yeah. shit. So Goddamn. gaming and deals. Deals. Did the deals, man. So thank you, Michael Althauser and Great Out Productions for sponsoring the show. We much appreciate it. And uh, closing out the show, 
Yeah. Thank you to our patrons. We do have a patron page out there. We've got a number of different folks that have uh, jumped on there to help Sean, uh, support Sean and I. They uh, paid for some cool swag we've done and other some, uh, fun things we've been able to take around with us. So Joe Swick and Kevin Lovecraft, thank you very much. Uh, go to our uh, website, gamingnbs.com. We've got a link to our Patreon there. Um, love, love to have you if you can. That'd be great. Yes, thank you so much for the supporting the show. If you want to find ways to support the show, go to gamingnbs.com forward slash support. And there's a number of different ways that you can help support the show. Uh, and I didn't mention earlier on, if you want to record the teaser or intro to the show, what you'll want to do is email that to gamingnbs at gmail.com. And we'll make sure to use it. Otherwise, have a happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening. Thanks for checking out the survey. Thank you for everything. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night, good game and all.